I don't talk too much, <laughs> you know, and that, and that uh, we all get something out of it. Um, it's, I was, um, we've had a lot going on in politics and different things. Is it working now? Oh, wonderful. And, um, and I have to confess, I got, a, I got a little bit worked up. You know, you can kind of say, well, I didn't get angry, but I went looking for people Decide with me. <laughs> you know, but I wasn't angry. You know, I went looking, you know, and if, if there was like little jabs or disrespectful things to the people I, I don't like, ooh, I like that. That's not love. <laughs> and that's not lo- what, you know, the Lord has called us to do. And, you know, I, I'm a teacher. I've been born again for a long time. I've, I've gone to Bible college, you know. And here I am. I'm I'm acting like the world. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. So that convicts you. I hope this word will help you. So that conviction isn't to make you feel bad. Conviction is so that you change. You don't get trapped by the trappings that come with that bad behavior or that stinking thinking. So the title, (laughs) what a beautiful title, Selfishness and Anger. I kept trying to change that, you know. (sighs) Because... I don't want to admit to being selfish and angry. That's just not pretty. But, 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 you know, if you think about it, the left is angry, the right is angry, drivers are angry, uh, pro-choice is angry. I mean, you can't turn on the TV without someone spewing some kind of anger. And it, it, just, it just got me kind of thinking a little bit about how I was raised. And there are some principles that I was raised with that I have justified not adhering to, because after all, you don't know what they did. And there are some things that I, that I needed to get rid of. But in just thinking about generations, yes, I am a baby boomer. I don't look that old, but I am. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I said it in faith. But um, baby boomers... You know, a lot of baby boomers think like me, but baby boomers were kind of corrupted by the other generations. And we're going to talk about the other generations. But I just want to say, you know, my generation was taught respect authority, to respect authority. You didn't like your president, you respected the office. You didn't like your neighbor, you respected them. You didn't like the mean kid at school. You know, Mama didn't come over. My, I love it. I'd go to my mom. And I had this one mean kid, and every day I'd come home, and my, my mom had a great solution for it. Now she didn't go out there and talk to the guy, Kevin's mom. She didn't go out there and fight my my battle. She just said, "Karen, don't hang out with him." Simple solution. I had to decide how I was going to deal with it. I fought that battle on my own. And Kevin and I ended up being really good friends for a long period of time without getting our parents. See, we didn't know because we knew, you know, as kids in my generation, you go tell mom. Mom knows she's only getting half the story. And mom knows she's not around all the time. So you better learn how to get along with your sister when mama's not here. So just do it now. That's how I was raised. 
kids nowadays, so I'm, I'm in the, the baby boomer generation, and I'll, I'll talk a little. I'm going to go ahead, pull up that slide, because I think we might be referring back to it. I always go in different orders. Why do I bother putting doing this stuff here? But if you look at the, at the slides, okay, I'm a baby boomer, so if you're 55 to 75, so I think everyone here is covered. Uh, don't raise your hand if, if you're in the generation above, you know. But Gen X, we don't hear a whole lot about Gen X. Um, you know, I have raised kids that are in Gen X and the, the Y generation, or, or what they call, the, we hear about the millennials, and now there's a new term, it's the me generation. And now the me generation, okay, they're raising the me, me, me generation. So it didn't skip from me to me, me, it went straight to me, me, me. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting when you look at that. And I want to tell you a few stats about it, and then we'll kind of get into the, to the words. I've got to skip to that, because I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting. I did, a, I did a lot of little searches and things to find out where do I fall, why do I think the way that I think, how was I raised, you know, what's going on with, with other people. You know, you like to judge other people's behavior, or at least I fall into that trap a lot of times. But the me generation, okay, um, is the, the most current one we're talking about. They, I guess they haven't labeled the generation that comes after that because we've had some kids born in 2015, so maybe they're going to be included in that generation. I don't know. But every generation, when you look at history, you look at politics, they're taught to be more and more selfish. And so those of us, that are the baby boomers, okay, we're not set free from this, okay? We're here, okay? We're being taught that same garbage, too. <laughs> I, you know, we're more selfish probably now than we were when we were kids. But um, so the generation that we were born in, you know, it can neg- negatively affect, you know, our thinking. It can affect our hearts, you know, some more than others. I think if you were raised in a church, that kind of helps buffer you a little bit, you know. Uh, there are baby boomers. You know, there are some baby boomers that raised their kids. You know, some baby boomers were raised like millennials because their parents were rich and they were spoiled. And they were raised with some of those same attitudes. But in the U.S., millennials are the, the children of the baby boomers, who are also known as the me generation, who then produced the me, me generation. Current technology encourages even more selfish, selfishness. That's why as we get more technology, and you'll say, and I, I want to say, I don't want to, I don't have a problem with technology. Okay, I have an iPhone. I have an iWatch. I have a ring doorbell. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do all kinds of searches on the Internet. I love technology. But one of the, with all the benefits of technology, it has also brought some other things in front of me. I'm dealing with things. When I was younger, I mean, you, you, you didn't, you know, if someone was going to lie to me, they'd lie to my face. I can go to Facebook. You know? You didn't have all of the, the, the hundreds of channels. You can pick someone to lie to you. The funny, oh, he's funny. I'll let him lie to me. You know, you're not saying that. You're not saying he's funny. I'm going to lie to me. You're saying he is funny. And that disrespectful respectful joke is funny. But it infects our thinking, and it gets in there, and it dulls us, and it hardens our heart. And that's what's happened to even the baby boomers.
And, um, you know, in the 1950s to the 1970s, families displayed, like, like wedding pictures. You know, how many of y'all had wedding pictures, high school, you know, school pictures, pictures maybe of your uncle who went off to war? You know, when I was young, we used to have pictures of our friends and our family in our wallets. We didn't have pictures of our mom and dad because that wasn't cool. You know, but for the longest time, we had pictures, you know, but they say, they say right now, in this time and age, that uh, um, the average person has 85 pictures of themselves or their, or their dog. And if you think about it, if you've got, you got someone in your house that's younger than, I don't know, 30, <laughs> what are they doing? Got their phone up. You know, they're, yeah, got a drink of water. <laughs> Who cares? You know, look at my food. Now, I have, I have made some good meals, and I, you know, on occasion I might text Ruth because I want her to come home. You know, I'll text her a picture. But we, technology is causing us to look at ourselves. It's causing us to say, okay, this person's really good at presenting themselves. And let me, I'm, I'm going to look at myself, and I'm going to try to present myself happier and better than what I am. Okay, so everyone can see that I'm okay. But on the inside, I'm not. On the inside, I have concerns. And, I, and, and when you look at... Um, just the young people, and it's not just millennials, um, uh, but I'm talking about them because these these are our future. These are the ones I can affect. I've, I, I'm raising a millennial, you know. These are the ones that we can have effect on. We have these in our church. We have these people. They're going to be voting someday, or they are voting right now. And um, they're... Um, you know, they're, they're less involved with, with us. The, you know, the, the Bible says that the older ones are supposed to admonish the younger ones. We can't get in there because they're being admonished by their, their peers. They're being admonished by their bloggers. They're being admonished by the people who are being paid to shove an agenda down their throat so they can sell this product. We need to be aware of that. We need to educate our kids. Because our kids, they read the blog. And everyone knows the blog. <laughs> they believe it. Yeah, you know, I remember years ago, we used to do a training program. We used to say that if you, if you said something five times, you would start to believe it. How many times are our kids inundated with stuff? It's more than five times. Because it gets posted and reposted. You're dinged, you get dinged. Um, the average college student has no idea what's happening in politics. They have no idea what's happening anywhere. You know, I, I told Ruth one of, there was a fire. She knew nothing about it. <laughs> if it's really big because she is going to a Christian school, they'll pray about it. But she, she, she knew nothing because they, they don't watch the TV that we watch. They don't go to the, in the, the media that we go to. They're being, they're go, they go to the liberal stuff because they've made it entertainment. And they're having a great influence on this generation. 
Um, and, and it all started, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm not wanting to bash, the, bash them. The baby boomers were the ones that created this mess. We did. You know, what we did is we wanted, we wanted our children to be successful. We wanted them to have some self-esteem and feel good about themselves. And there's two types of, of esteem that you can build in your child. You can build an esteem that's based on uh, the favorable and the realistic expectation of oneself with, with a good, healthy self-respect. Or you can over-exaggerate it to a very favorable impression of oneself. And they can think they're all that in a bag of chips. And then the baby boomers started practicing. When they start practicing this, well, they, they, they sort of ha- developing kids that, yeah, the kids with, with higher self-esteem, they behaved better in school. And they didn't get in trouble. You know, they could go out and do a good interview because they felt good about themselves, you know. And they could go out and they could pick up the, 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 the chicks and the boys at the bars, you know, because they, they had their act together. The problem is with that kind of exaggerated esteem, they can't keep their job and they can't keep the person they, they, they've met at the bars or at, at the colleges because nobody can, can measure up to the esteem that your parents give you. So, you know, we have to be careful, you know, what kind of esteem we give them. It's so funny. You know, I have 10 grandkids. And I hope they're not listening. But if you are, praise God. But hear this. If you are. If your kid does something disrespectful or that is against what you're teaching them, even if it is cute, punish them. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't leave the mess there and like, okay, what are you doing? I'll tell you what happens. Okay, I got 10 grandkids. Number two, so I have to remember one. Number three, da 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 They all want reinforcement. Their esteem is being built up in, in misbehavior, in bad behavior. What's going to happen? Is that preparing them for the world? Is that preparing them for ministry? It is preparing them for a letdown. You know, if those of you who have kids, think about it. You know, I had the benefit that I had when Ruth was born. You know, her, her younger brother was 16, her older brother was 16 years older than her. And when she was little, she got this expression on her face that was really cute. But it looked just like the same one I saw on Sean's face that I wanted just to smack him across the room. So it wasn't I had all this wisdom. It was, wait a second, on that cute little face, it's going to turn into this teenage face. And it helped me. There were times that, especially when you have a funny kid, there are times that we had to look away. And I really had to tell Mark, do not, do not, you know, <laughs> do not laugh. 
And we had, to, we had to do things like that. That helped our kids. So if you want to build your kids' esteem, set realistic goals, realistic expectations. The baby boomers, we got our, our esteem from hard work and accomplishment. I remember when, uh, what was it, the Gen X was being born. I had a friend, her, her little sister, uh, her ball games, everyone got a participation trophy. And we weren't, they weren't allowed to know that they didn't even keep score because they didn't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. And one day, we were playing a game with this, this six-year-old, and I didn't know I was supposed to let her win, and I made the mistake. Whoa. Do you know what she did? It was pretty shocking. She didn't spit in my face, but she spit in her sister's face, her mother's face, and her grandmother's face. And, and I, was, I was in shock. And then that didn't work because I didn't know what I'd done wrong. Um, she took all of her clothes off, totally naked, and started spitting herself and run on all the couch and just throw a fit for a long time. And it, it disturbed me so much, to be honest with you, I had to go to the bathroom because I thought I was going to throw up. Because I, had, I hadn't been exposed to stuff like that. Now, I would love it if things of this world would cause me to get that disturbed, you know. <laughs> Your heart gets hardened. I don't know what's happening with that little girl right now, but could you imagine? You're not going to win at everything. You look at successful people, they have all failed. They've learned from their failures. We want our kids to learn from their failures when they're young so we can be there to guide them so they can get through it. We can tell them, yeah, this is just a season. You know, I was talking to, to Joy the other day, and, and uh, I remember one time, you know, her, her husband from the pulpit said, the, the day that I had today, I'm so thankful, or the week, I'm so thankful that I had this really awful boss. Because that job prepared me for this job. I won't go back there. And I thought about it in my life. You know, no one wants to go to boot camp twice. But you learn a lot at boot camp. You learn a lot at boot camp. No one wants to go back. But the stuff you learn through that, um, it's, a, it's a, we need to learn. And it's, it's the tough things in life that are going to refine us. If we don't allow our children or ourselves, you know, what do we do? We don't, want to, we don't want to have to deal with our own personal life. So what do we do? We get lost in TV. Huh? We get lost in going out. We get lost in fun. There are so many ways to have fun. I was thinking about my friend that, you know, had the, 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 her sister that did that freaky thing. I remember we used, we used to play outside. And, and you come in after the mosquitoes got, like, really, really bad. We had, we had to find ways to entertain ourselves. People today have to be entertained. And because they have to be entertained, they're letting the bloggers and the far-left people and all these people that have no morals entertain them. And it's ministering to them. I'll say another thing here, and if you're listening, I'm saying it in love. Letting your phone entertain your kids is not wise. Letting your phone babysit your kids is not wise. You're supposed to raise your kids 
not the phone. If you are, I'm sitting there talking with young people, some older people, some of my baby boomers there, talk to your kids about this. If you are teaching your three-year-old to be entertained by that phone, they'll do it for the rest of their life. Do you know that most of the, like the soda water and things like that, they advertise to teenagers? Because they know if they got you at a teenager, you'll be drinking it for life. My husband drank Dr. Pepper until he died. Think about it. The soft drink you drink, you probably start drinking that when you're a teenager. But now they got some cool stuff that may, may have changed, you know. But, but, see, the world knows to go after the kids. The enemy knows to go after the kids. And we are leaving the door wide open. There's hope, though. There's hope, though. But, but I want to, you know, it's, it's a very negative subject, but I want us to just be aware of what we're doing. It's a great responsibility to raise a kid. It's tremendous. And we all make mistakes. But praise God, God is bigger than any mistake. God can get you out of any predicament. God can heal any. God can tell you what to do to, to, that you, to, do to, to minister to your children. We want somebody else to minister to the children. We don't want to have the tough conversations with our kids. But if you do, you'll have a closeness that, that, that the enemy can't get involved in. Yes, know what they're doing, but we can be innocent on a lot of things that they're doing. You know, um, I'm going to skip down and just say, so what the baby boomers have done in their attempt to uh, raise the esteem of their children, because it looked like the world's idea, the Bible doesn't say that, does it? The Bible says hold them accountable. <laughs> the Bible says the rod spoils the child. I mean, there's, you know, but the world says something totally different. And so what the baby members did is they created a bunch of narcissists. And a narcissist is someone who is just concerned about self. They don't even see other people, and they're not even aware. Like, you know, what, you know my generation, we kind of know <laughs> a little bit. We'll say, I can't believe that. Young people don't even know, don't even know that because they're on their phone. They don't, all they know is what affects them. And we've, we've created that. But according to the National Health Institute, narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for the 20-year-olds in this generation as it was for those who are 65 than when you were 20 years old. It's gone up three times. 58% of college students scored higher in narcissism scale in 2009 versus 2082. Uh, millennials got so many, you know, participation trophies <laughs> growing up uh, that recent studies show that 40% believe that they should be promoted every two years regardless of their performance. Look, okay, that sounds funny. You got a teenager... I've been doing this for two months. I can do it better than they can. <laughs> I know what I'm doing, you know. And so, so what happens is 
We're teaching this generation to be dissatisfied. Nothing can satisfy them at this point. Because nothing measures up the expectations that we falsely put in them. And that affects suicide rates. That affects anxiety. It affects a whole, you know, a whole gambit of, of different disorders that the enemy is using to attack our children. And so, so I've spit a lot of facts at you just to let you know, you know where I am coming from and the importance of this. So I do, we, we're going to get some scripture because we, we do have hope. So I was thinking about all of this stuff. And, um, and one day during worship, I heard in my spirit, the breastplate protects the heart. And I, I, did, I did a teaching on the, the armor of God. I don't know. It was, in, it was in February of last year, I think it was. It was pretty long, you know. And I went and looked at that, and I, I went and reread the scriptures. And, and then I thought, no, God's trying to show me something different here. Let's just keep, keep looking at it. And so I wanted to... To kind of look at that scripture again. And that scripture is in Ephesians 6, starting with the 10th verse. (laughs) And I'm going to read all the way through 18. It says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We put on... I'll wear the helmet today. You know, it's kind of, I, I, I did a teaching before and I was talking about all the different, you know, put, we, we choose what to put on sometimes. Maybe y'all don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just me. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the, the wiles of the devil. Okay, right now, the devil is using everything it can to get its way. We can stand. Hallelujah. We can stand against this. It might seem like it's having all this power, but the word says we can stand. You know, for we, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers in the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. I want to stand in the evil day. I want my children to stand in the evil day. I want my grandchildren to stand in the evil day and their children. I want everyone in here to be standing. But we can't stand on our, what we you know. On our own thoughts, our own, you know, what we want to do. There's not strength in that. You know, in the 14th verse it says, therefore stand. I mean, therefore, stand therefore, having gird your waist with the truth, having put the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. We can have not just stand, we can have victory. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end, 
with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So not just for us. We're doing it for, we're doing it, we're doing it for, for the saints. We're doing it for other people. Um, and I, I, I apologize because I went to the wrong place. Didn't mean to do that because I had some other notes about this. But, but he, he tells us what we, do, we have to do for this. He tells us that we have the victory. So I've told that to you. <laughs> well, there's another thing that's been kind of going around a little bit, and that is the flu season. I mean, everywhere you turn, they're talking about the flu, the flu this, the flu that, and what you can do to not get the flu. Uh, you, there's sanitary napkins everywhere. Everyone's doing everything, you know, to, to make sure they don't get the flu. And, and, and the Lord said, said to me, that really all sin, but you know, it's talking to me, talking to me about selfishness and anger, spreads like the flu. Some of the same principles. So I had to look that up because <laughs> you know you think you know, you know. But I want so I, the first thing I did is I looked at how can you prevent yourself from getting the flu? Okay, you get you you, you get vaccinated. You wash your hands. You don't spread it. You, you sneeze into your, you know, cough in your elbow. You, didn't, you disinfect the common areas like your phone and doorknobs and remotes and things like that. You drink water. You know, drinking water will strengthen your immune system that God designed. You know, imagine that. You know, water flushes your system. And I, I got on a rabbit trail because I thought, start thinking about, okay, because when I was a kid, the flu wasn't talked as much as much as it is now. You know, we, we weren't so worried. You know, someone came to your house, they were sick. Come on, let's play. You know, I can't tell you how many times I played with my friends. Were, you know, we didn't. But now everyone's like so afraid. And I thought, well, okay, when did this start happening? And I thought, Lysol. I remember Lysol. So I looked at some things on Lysol. There's one interesting thing about Lysol I will say. Did you know that at one point it was used for birth control? In 1920. That's all I want to say about that. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it, it, they, they, they had different things, and then they found out that they, they used it, you know, first in the hospitals, and then, you know, the, the drugstore sold it. But it wasn't until 1985 that it really came out strong, and they had a big marketing campaign. And guess what? What do they have to show you? They had to, sh- they had to show you the need for their product. Germs. And that's when the germaphobes came. And I remember us baby boomers, we laughed. Okay. We laughed at the Z generation. <laughs> we laughed at them. The, the X generation. We laughed at them. They're always using those wipes. <laughs> you know, we didn't, get, we didn't get sick. Their kids were getting sicker than we got. You know, we, we laughed about that stuff. But now everyone, you know. And I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. It's, it's, there's wisdom to go ahead, you know, disinfect. I'm not telling you not to do that. But realize that someone ministered to you that Lysol was better than the power of God. This, this Lysol. Someone ministered to you to be afraid when that cute little kid comes into your home wiping their nose. Which it could just be allergies, but you have to be afraid that it's the flu or this other thing or whatever it might be. And you've got to disinfect the whole house. And guess what? What are you ministering to your kids? Peace? I don't think so. 
They see mama freak out. You're missing fear. We have a lot of hypochondriacs because that's being ministered to them. Um, so, so that kind of gets you thinking, you know. And I, then after I did that, I, I thought, okay, I'm doing some of those things. I didn't get a flu shot this year, but all the things on the list, you know, I'm, I'm doing. And then I heard in my spirit. That's when I heard in my spirit that selfishness and anger spreads like the flu. And so, you know, so I had to look at how does the flu spread. We think we know this, but I'm going to tell you how it spreads. Okay. Most of the time it's spread through the droplets in the air that come out of someone's mouth. And it can go out six feet. And it can stay alive on a hard surface for, 40, for, for 48 hours. So a sixth person sneezes or coughs, and the beads of moisture that contain the virus, okay, has to travel to you, which is six feet, or, or, to, or to a, to a, to a, um, a surface that you touch, okay. Then, okay, it, it's not absorbed through your skin. Then it has to make it into either your mouth, your eye, or your nose. Now, the problem is, in the winter, in small places, people sneeze and cough, and you're typically about six feet from each other. We're, we're interacting, we're moving around. So, But my point is, it has to come in through your nose, your eyes, or your mouth. Not through your skin. Why, why, why aren't there commercials about that? Why aren't there commercials about don't touch your mouth? Be, you know, be aware, don't touch your mouth. Don't touch your eyes. Don't touch your nose. Wash your hands. Just washing your hands can keep it. And staying away from sneezing into your... You, you don't want to spread it. But you, okay, say mommy might not... Mommy's being careful. Mommy's not touching her, her own mouth, her own eyes, her own nose. Mommy doesn't get the flu because she's very careful. But mommy can spread it to someone else. So mommy picks up baby Sue or touches, you know, and baby Sue puts baby Sue's hand or whatever in their mouth. And I, I want to make that point with you because I'm going to show you how sin gets spread and how we can keep sin from, from, from spreading. Um, so, yes, we need to be, be wise but uh, not walk in fear. Uh, if someone in your house does have the flu, it's, it's wise. Why, why? You know, it's kind of funny. We're so concerned, but no one is talking about, hey, <laughs> you know, um, anger spreads like the flu. So watch out. Watch out what you touch. Watch out what you put in your eyes. Watch out what you take in your mouth. Because you don't want to get that. You know, you know what affects the immune system? Stress. What affects stress? Anger, worry, all that kind of stuff. So we're putting that, we're touching our mouth with it, you know. We're putting it in our nose. We are not doing anything. And not to mention that, okay, if we do happen to like stress out or we do happen to get mad, what do we do? We sneeze it over everybody. <laughs> if we get upset, we should just go, <clears throat> keep it to ourselves. Don't spread it. But we spread it. That's what ha- that's what's happening in the media. It's been. Sp- I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed by some of the stuff I'm seeing Christians do. 
And unfortunately, the enemy is using that behavior to turn people away from the body of Christ. Don't let the enemy infect your thinking. There's precautions that we, we, that we can, can take. And it's kind of funny, you know, I told you that, that all, the, all this stuff is infectious. And, um, and I've learned that when I get angry, it's very easy to get angrier. So the angrier I get, the angrier I get. So it's kind of like one plus one equals two. Okay? One plus one plus one equals three. We can multiply the anger. Selfishness. We can multiply selfishness. We can multiply all kinds, just with thoughts. First it's a thought. And then it gets multiplied. And you get angrier and angrier. And then you start sneezing and coughing on everybody. Your family first. The Word doesn't tell us to do that. You know, uh, and, and if you look in the Word... You know, you know, it kind of gets me thinking, like, what do I want to multiply? You know, I, want to, I don't want to multiply joy. I, want to multiply, I, mean, I don't want to multiply anger. I want to multiply joy. I don't want to multiply um, selfishness. I want to multiply love. It's kind of funny. When you love, it's, like, it's easier to love. It, it multiplies. When you're joyful, it multiplies. You know, when you really get into the praise, you know, you know and you're just doing it, like nobody cares. It just gets, it gets gooder and gooder and gooder. Yeah, it does. See, so, yeah, the word, like in Psalms 4, uh, 4 through 5, it says, be angry and do not sin. So we can. Someone can do something. Don't feed it. Don't multiply it. Don't multiply it with a sinful thought. Let's just nip in the bud. Before it infects the rest of our body. Before it infects and spreads to our children and to our friends. Um, you know, John fifteen eleven, start, uh, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. It doesn't seem that tough, does it? Sometimes it is. Let's be truthful. It is. You know, love one another as I have loved you. Greet, uh, uh, greater love has no one, uh, no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. I want to be full of the joy. So if I want to be full of the joy, I need to love. Not love myself. I need to show love for other people. Show love for the enemies. And that gets me to the next scripture, Luke uh, 627. It says, but I say to you who hear. So that means that some of us aren't hearing. Okay. But I say to, I say to you who hear, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who, who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek. That does not make sense to the world. That does not make sense to a little two-year-old. 
But that should make sense to us. And if we don't understand that, we need to ask God to give us revelation on that and help us see that. You know, one of the problems that the world, they know how to love. (laughs) They love their enemies, especially. But, you know, all these people that are spewing all these awful things, they're working in soup kitchens. You know, they're, they're doing all kinds of charity work, giving, you know, giving aid to hurricane victims. They're doing all kinds of grand things. They look like they love more than the church does. So they look like they're loving and they're sneezing garbage over everybody. And it's giving them a voice because it looks better than what the church is doing. The church, us, we should do better. And God can show us how to do better. Um, and then I've got um, one more scripture. And that's, that's in Luke, and it's in 6, 6, the 32nd verse. It says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good, what credit is that, that to you? For even sinners do the same. The sinners, they're looking, they, look, they make things look pretty good. They are, um, you know, and, and, and sinners, they, see, the difference is they tote their own horn. <laughs> you know, we're told that we, we should, you know, we, we're not, we don't give for the, <laughs> for the sake of, you know, getting, getting um, uh, credit for it. So no one knows what's going on, and, and, and God knows what's going on. But, you know, the one thing we can get credit for is good behavior. You know, we can. Um, um, the enemy is continually trying to distract us. I'm, I'm looking at the time. Is, and one of the things I want to point out is that the world is trying to get us to accept sin. They pretty it up. They make they make it you know they they sneak it in everywhere that they can. You know, I turned the news on just for a minute while I made myself a sandwich tonight, and some poor five year old is having an identity crisis. <laughs> you know she thinks that she's a boy, and. They sat, they look so sweet, and she's written, and mama's written a book, and to help people be tolerant, and which means, okay. See, the, the enemy has no shame trying to tell us that sin is good. They have no shame. They're not, in this generation, it is so loud, it's amazing. You know, I don't watch TV, you know, the news and stuff as much. So when it does come on, it is kind of like, oh, my goodness, really? Really? The, the TV shows, it's an alternative lifestyle. You know, everything is just <laughs> left is getting lefter, <laughs> and it's taking the right with it. <laughs> that sounds kind of bad. We, we don't even know. There's, there's morality that's, that is taught to us in the Bible. That's not something to be embarrassed about. We can teach our children how to be equipped in this day and age. You know, I'll, I'll never forget when the gay marriage thing came up 
um, everyone at, at Ruth was like a junior. Everyone knew she was a Christian. So what happens? Someone asked Ruth in a bunch in front of a bunch of homosexuals what she thought about gay marriage. Yeah. And Ruth said, "I think it's wrong." I, th- I think that I think that it's a sin, um, and I, I can't remember but something to the effect that, that, and God can help you overcome that sin or something. You know, she was merciful about the person sinning, and, and sometimes it's it's so easy for us to get so hateful towards the homosexuals because of that behavior just goes so against what we believe. But no one gets that gets that angry at the selfish people and the angry people, which sin is sin. See, we're the ones that quantify things. So we're the ones that are intolerant. That's what it is. I was trying to find my note on that. See, the world wants us to be tolerant of sin and intolerant of righteousness. I'm going to say it again. They want us to be tolerant of sin. They want our children to be tolerant of sin and intolerant of righteousness to the point that people don't know what righteousness is. So let's look at the breastplate. The breastplate that we're putting on, that's Jesus' righteousness. That's not our own. You know, and what happens is, you know, the, the breast, you know, we talked about girding yourself up with the truth. In, in the scripture it says, gird yourself up in the truth. Well, the gird is, is the belt or the band around the waist. That way back when, when they had the longer skirts, they had to gird everything up so they could run and battle and, and, not, and not stumble over. So that, that held the, the, kept, you know, held the, the skirt, their, their dress up, but it also supported the breastplate. The breastplate needs to be held in place because if it's not held in place by the truth, it'll slip. And that's what exposes the heart. Now, you're still righteous because Jesus paid the price. When God looks at us, he sees that we're righteous because of what Jesus did. But because we're not girded up with truth, the breastplate slips a little bit and we start looking at our own righteousness. We get distracted from the truth and what the truth says, and we start questioning our own personal life. You know, how do I look? Am I acting righteous? Instead of getting the truth in there, getting girded there where the breastplate can be where it's at, where it can protect our hearts and keep this junk from getting into our hearts. Does that make sense? It all works together. The whole armor of God. You know, some Christians get stuck on salvation. I'm saved. <laughs> That's all I got to do. <laughs> some Christians get stuck on, you know, uh, uh, um, girding themselves up. A lot of Christians have trouble with righteousness. And the main reason they have trouble with righteousness is because the enemy keeps, keeps you there. Looking at selfies of yourself and your own unrighteousness. The enemy is keeping people's eyes on themselves instead of 
on Jesus. If we're wearing the breastplate, we will see Jesus. If we put Jesus' righteousness here and then our righteousness, <laughs> we won't, it, it, blocks, it, it blocks what we're seeing. So we have, to, we have to be aware of what the world is doing to us. There's another thing in the scripture I want to point out because is that it also says in there that we're always praying. Okay? And it goes on with supplication. Supplication is, is it supplication in the spirit? That is praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is praying in tongues. So we need to be praying in our natural language. <laughs> If you have more languages, pray in all of them you want to. But also, we're supposed to be praying in the Spirit. We, we just do part of it. Got the armor of God, then we don't pray. We pray, we don't, it's just, it's put on the whole armor of God. And pray in every way that God has given you to pray. But I want to stress, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit... With the evidence of speaking in tongues, you're not fulfilling the scripture. And it's important to the armor of God. And if you're not doing this, that means that, because the spirit of truth, okay, when you're praying in tongues, the one thing I've discovered, when you're praying in tongues, that's your godly language. You know, when I'm praying in English, like, oh, poor me, 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 me. My kids, my kids, my kids, you know. Let's be honest, most of it's that. You know, someone, people I love, you pray for them. Hell, pray for those liberals, whatever it might be. You're praying all this kind of stuff. But when you pray in tongues, you are edifying your spirit. You pray in tongues. I mean, you could, I bet you raise your hands in here. When you pray in tongues, you get understanding. The, you're welcoming the Holy Spirit to speak. Speak to you in a supernatural language. You're opening the door for the supernatural to come into your situation. So why are we not inviting the supernatural in? Because the enemy knows the power of speaking in tongues. So the enemy knows if I can get you from speaking in tongues, I could have an end. And there's, you know, so some churches think it's dead. People think it's silly. It was funny. When I first got born again, I forgot this young man. I was, I was on fire. You know, there's nothing worse than a new Christian, you know. I was on fire, and I was just preaching to everybody. And I had this young man. I was a manager. I was training him. And he was this cute kid. And, and he goes, you speak in tongues? And I said, yes. And he kind of leaned back, and he goes, do it. <laughs> kind of cocky-like. And I just went, shoot up my car, but I wouldn't be, you know, you know, and he was like, you know, and he was embarrassed. Do you know what? About a month later, he wanted to speak in tongues. If I would have been concerned about what he thought, and who knows about what else, whoever else heard something, at that, we were super silent back when they were open. Who knows who else heard things? Praise God, I was so on fire that I wasn't thinking about what I looked like. Because at that point, I was really girded with the truth, you know. And when you first speak in tongues, I oh, man, it's all the time. I used to turn Johnny Carson in because I had roommates. Turn it on, so I, and I'd turn it on my bedroom and go, go to my bathroom and pray in tongues. So I didn't want them to hear me because, you know, it, it was, that was wisdom, you know. But I just want to say, 
read that scripture again. If you do everything in that scripture with the armor of God, you will withstand the wiles of the enemy. And not only that, you'll have victory. And you can teach your children to have victory. And as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, okay, things are happening in the supernatural that we don't even know about. We don't have to walk in fear of catching anything. Because you know what? As you gird yourself in the truth and as you learn the word, you learn what your promises are. You learn what to expect from God. You learn how to receive it. You learn not to settle. You learn not to let fear drive you, but you let the Holy Spirit drive you. And as a parent, if you do that, it's the example that you, that you have for your children that your kids follow. You know, they may not like what you do, but when they know you're real, in times of trouble, they come to you. So time is up. I want to thank you guys, and I want to close with a quick prayer here. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you guide us and you protect us. I thank you, Lord. You've given us the armor of God. You've given us everything we need. And I thank you, Lord, that we will be prosperous. I thank you, Lord, that the church will stand up and be who you created us to be. I thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than any mistakes we made with our children. And our children are going to be set free as we're set free in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.